how do you take that data, spend a little headphone time with it and say like, wait a minute, there's a trend here. These things are correlated. I wonder if it's causal. Let's go in and find out. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. Today, you'll hear an episode from our Takeover Tuesday series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sanger always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. And we're live. And today's guest is back. Back from the past, back from the future. The first show was wildly popular and I enjoyed our convo. And most importantly, he was just game for this crazy experience one more time. Uh, <laughs> he's an author, a speaker. He is the conversion scientist. And if you've heard any of my webinars, you know, I talk all about him and the learning lessons from our first podcast. He's also the managing partner of Conversion Sciences, Brian Massey. Welcome back. Yay. <laughs> like nice flat affect, yay, from the crowd. You need a you need a, a clap track or something. Do I need a noise track? Well, maybe we'll just put a little laugh a little laugh track. No, we'll put an applause track in there. Because there's lots of people listening, but it just feels so quiet. Right, right. So so quiet. We need to get some get some noise, get some whoops in here. Well, I gotta I gotta say. What's really cool about this is I, I dressed for the occasion. And, and for those of us joining us on video or those on audio, you won't know, but maybe go check out the video this time. Brian, as the conversion scientist, you are in a lab coat, you're drinking coffee out of a beaker. So I decided to get a lab coat so that I would feel, you know, appropriately dressed for this conversation. Well, have I told you, have I, have I told you the research behind the lab coat? Why it's so effective? Something about smarter. Tell me again. Uh, so the, the area of study is called enclosed cognition. It's the study of the systematic influence of clothing on the wearer and those around the wearer. And they've, they found out that when you put a lab coat on somebody and give them a cognitive test, they'll score about 17% higher on that test than if they're wearing street clothes. So when you put on the lab coat, you really think you're smarter than you are. Right. And they've also found that when someone's wearing a uniform, people will put more weight in their words, will um, believe what they say, are more likely to follow their directions. And so not only do you think you're smarter than you are, but the people around you think you're smarter than you are. And I just, I like using science to get an unfair advantage in such, you know, like that. I think that's what this is all about today. I mean, that's, this is it. This is the idea of using science, using experiments. So the theme of experimentation and, and science and, and how persona and personality and, and instincts fit into that. I think this is, that's, that's what we should talk about. We're going to geek out on topics like that and, and conversational marketing and, and testing and all those things. So, you know, tradition holds, do you recall, let me pass this back to you. You've held this before. This is Thor's hammer. So go ahead and take that and, and uh, smash. Am I worthy? Am I worthy? Oh, you are worthy, sir. You are worthy. Smash something. Marketing misconception, things that kind of are just driving you crazy these days. What, what's bugging you about bad marketing? And uh, what, what, what's going wrong? Well, the only bad marketing is the marketing that you do twice. 
So mm-hmm. you keep doing what you're, which what you um, keep doing the same thing over and over again, and and uh, you're going to get the same results. And so data is that space where uh, there's a number of things you can, you don't have to play it safe anymore. You can yeah. actually uh, try some different things, especially like this time of the year, a lot of marketing departments are behind on their goals. So they start doubling down, sending more emails, mm-hmm. set, posting more ads, but the creative is safe. They don't want to take any chances. And um, people who are a little bit more apt to experiment will take a, a portion of their budget and try something different, something unique. And if they, you know, if they just have a few skills for trying things and, and understanding, well, so how big of a sample size can I really believe? How much do I need to spend to really understand if this ad's going to work or not? Right. The, the better they are at that, the more apt they are to do those sorts of things. And so instead of just throwing more money at the problem, throwing more traffic at the website, uh, they can start throwing better traffic, higher converting traffic, et cetera. Right. So, so really break, break out of the mold, right? Try something new, get creative. Don't yeah. You don't even have to be crazy, but you know, on Friday afternoons, I tend my, you know, the, the phone stops ringing and the appointments are scarce. People leave a little early. And so you catch your headspace expands and you start to get these different ideas, better ideas. Um, that's kind of my golden time of the week. But then by the time you get back to the office on Monday, you're like, nah, I could never sell that. Well, go do an experiment and see if your crazy idea is that crazy or if it really could have an amazing impact on your brand, on your, on your marketing. That's the beauty of experimenting. Why don't more people do that? I think that it is uh, still somebody else's job. You know, every marketer wears a lot of hats. Yep. And there's something that they're comfortable with. So maybe they came up out of the design world. And so when they get that, the, you know, um, 4.30, people are leaving, the meetings are over, put on the headphones and open Photoshop. Uh, maybe they came out of the copywriting um, or, you know, English. Um, they were a writer before they moved into marketing. So, you know, they put on the headphones and they open Word or whatever their favorite, um, uh, their favorite writing document is. Experimenters can do the same thing. We put on the headphones and we settle in and we open analytics or we open our social media tracking or we open our Facebook ads or we right. open AdWords and go in and say, all right, I wonder what I've learned from all the money that I've spent this last month. So I think it's that thing that it has to be, you know, they, they have to own it. I think um, they have to feel comfortable that they, they can experiment because we're all already wired for this. And they've got to give themselves some time and permission to go in and just be curious. It's an amazing be curious. Uh, you know, it's a it's yeah. a experience for me to go in and just satisfy some of my curiosity about what's going on. Yeah, so much more so than just the status quo maintaining. And I think you said earlier, you're doubling down on the the more bland, uh, the safer content. Safer content typically gets deleted much faster than the weird, curious content. You know, just when we play it safe, we're it's not going to get better. Our results are not going to get better by tripling the emails we send to someone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think that when you don't experiment, you begin to believe things like that your brand is fragile. So I can't send like one crazy email. Maybe I'm going to send an email that is like 
really personal. I'm going to use first person. I'm going to talk like a human being and I'm going to make a joke. Right. Well, oh, that's going to, that's going to turn off our business to business customers. Yeah. Um, I think we way underestimate the, the, um, uh, overestimate the fragility of our brands. If your brand is that fragile, then you've, you've got a bigger problem than, than one or two emails. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. If you've got a platform where you can send it to a subset and, and get the data back and, and take that creative time, put on those headsets and go in and see what happened, you're going to start to say, wow, this is actually helping the brand. I've noticed. So I've, um, for about six months now, have been really emphasizing in my emails, click reply and talk to me because every one of my emails will come into my inbox and I can reply to it. And it's been a really fun and interesting experience having people click and say, oh, thanks very much. And saw you at whatever show and I uh, love your content and um, start conversations that way. So um, click reply and talk to me. I like that. And now it's not scalable, but it's awesome engagement. Yeah. But I mean, uh, only if you're in a, only if you're a giant brand does it become unmanageable. True. Um, we've got 12,000 odd people on our list and it's manageable for me. So how many replies do you get? A couple, couple thousand. You just kind of, stretch out and get settled down to right. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's dozens. It's, it's okay. It's a small number. So I, I think it's something that we don't do anymore. People right. don't like click reply because they assume so many of the um, mass emails that we get have no reply at, I mean, how ridiculous is that? No. Yeah. We're sending you something to the inbox in a one-to-one email medium. The medium is one-to-one, even though this is a mass email, but yeah. we're not going to accept replies from you. It's, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, that triggers me like nothing else is that reply all email. You know, I want you to engage, but I want you to engage in this particular way. Follow my my gilded path here and go to my landing page or or click this thing and get this content, but don't reply and ask me a question. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, come on, people. Ah. It's the new social media. You know you can reply to emails? Oh. Right. Or did you know you can actually engage with people on Twitter, not just send out all your links to all your blog posts? <laughs> yeah, I'm a little guilty of that myself. Well, I think providing content is cool, but the thing that actually grows your, your account has been always for me been engaging. You know? Yeah. And it, when I when I'm thumbs up and liking and hearting and all the different iconing other people's cool articles and retweeting them, they're more likely to then take a notice to uh, to what I've got. Yeah. Well, and how is, how is Twitter working for you in terms of getting people back to the website and um, finding prospects? That's, you know, that's the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really takes care and feeding. A couple of months ago, we really took a, took an initiative to kind of get back to it and start actually putting some content out there because the random and otherwise your, your feed becomes uh, maybe a couple blog articles and then you complaining to Delta about your late flight, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, it can be great for that, but if that's your whole feed is just complaining to, to corporate brands, like, come on, like there's no real value in that. Uh, but I, 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 I still see the value in Twitter. I know it, it's kind of t- taken some heat, but also, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily the in thing for some of the younger crowd, but I, I still, but in some, in some ways it is though, very much in the business world, it tends to be that way that we can chat without bothering each other too much. Yeah. We get, I think we get most of our response from Twitter, but we have our highest conversion rates from LinkedIn, mm. even though it's much smaller. Um, in conversion rates in. off of organic or off of paid? 
uh, all that's all organic. We aren't doing any man. It's expensive to advertise on LinkedIn. Yeah. 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 You know, I was actually, there was a podcast this morning I was listening to. It was uh, Jason Calcanis's podcast and he was interviewing, uh, I forget his name, but he was the director of demand gen at, at calm, which is that meditation app. I don't know if you've heard of this It's a meditation app on the, there's like a hundred of them, but this one's pretty popular. It's called calm. And so they, they have like a subscription type of thing where you can Mm -hmm. get some meditation. They're like guided meditations, which are really fun to make fun of. But then I've listened to a couple. They're, they're kind of cool. They're just like, okay, focus on your breathing, you know, close your eyes here. You are, there you are. Cause sometimes telling someone to meditate is like, okay, what do I think about? I'm going to think about work. (laughs) That doesn't help, you know? So, but there's this app calm. And so this guy was getting really detailed. Um, you know, seeing when the, it, it was like a little mini masterclass on, on demand gen, ad conversions, lifetime value, cost for acquisition. And this guy was just going through how, how, he, how he approaches it. And uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. So I don't even know why I started talking about that, but whatever we were talking about. Pelicanus um, is interesting, yeah. Yeah, how so? I just, I just like the way he looks at things. I like his contrarian attitude. I just I find him very interesting in his approach. Yeah. Cool, very cool. So, you know, this point you were talking about earlier about, you know, finding some time for me, it's like getting in that flow state. I like that Friday idea. I think maybe we start a trend where, you know, everyone else is kind of, I don't know, checking out on Friday and, you know, maybe you let that sort of task driven side check out, but you do more of that experimentation on Friday. Maybe Mm -hmm. we call it freaky Friday. I've never heard that movie before, but maybe we call it something like that where we just all kind of, we do that and we, we share our, our thoughts and our experiments on Twitter or something where we're just like, hey, this is experiment I'm thinking about. Or this is what I'm thinking about. And we kind of all encourage each other. But like for marketers to do that on Friday would be kind of a cool thing. We could have this Everybody. mass peak experience. Yeah. Put on the headphones and open your favorite whatever app. That's yeah. kind of, that's actually a really interesting idea. Yeah. And then maybe at the very beginning, you could, you could scroll through some of the Freaky, Fri- Freaky Friday marketing things that are happening and see what people, oh, I'm testing this Facebook thing and I'm testing this conversion thing, or I have, I'm going to brainstorm this stuff. And it kind of inspires you to then go and get in your own lab and, and test some things out. I think that's a great idea. We should do that. We should like send an email out and kind of like sponsor. Yeah. I wonder if there's some sort of like, uh, if you could do it on a, like a Slack or something like that. Um, oh, that would be cool. But then you got to get people to sign up for your Slack. Or a Twitter chat or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, I mean, just a hashtag, you know. But actually, though, having doing something interactive like that kind of ruins the ruins the purpose of like just like getting into headspace. Maybe, right. yeah. Kind of like put it out there, then check out. You know, you, you can't can't do your brainstorming if you're still looking at Twitter ten minutes later. It's mm, like, yeah. Turn off the social and you know, put on the cool music and and get get going, get crazy. You know, it's funny. Actually, I did that last night. You know, sometimes there's always this, maybe we should talk about this too. There's always that idea of like, you got to plan, you got to make plans to make plans of plans. And then you build the thing and hopefully the experiment works. But last night I just had this interesting idea. There's a blog post I want to promote. Mm-hmm. I went on, went on Facebook and I had, hadn't worked with Facebook ads in a while, but I decided to do a little test, you know, do it was a $155 click test to drive some traffic and see what happens still running today. And it was just kind of fun, you know, just 
you know, small impact, but, you know, experiment. And even I learn and kind of catch up on, oh, how, how's Facebook doing it these days? That kind of thing. Yeah, it's, you know, we did it as yeah, that sort of thing as kids. It's like, what can I build today? What happens if I, you know, use this bucket in the sandbox and, and stack it on top? How tall can I make this? Um, and, you know, we lose it in the pressure of our day-to-day jobs and our fear that our ideas won't be accepted by our teammates and our, mm. and our bosses. And um, we did a podcast with um, Dr. Diane Hamilton and she's got a curiosity code index. Yes. Thing. Has she been on yours? No, but I'm, I'm, I'm about, we're about to, cause I love that episode. By the way, so be, what, what no, is it a numbered episode or just look up, maybe just throw out your podcast so people can. Uh... Uh, it's intended consequences and we can have a conversation about podcasting because we've gone back and forth as to whether had to have the numbers, don't have the numbers. <laughs> so at some point I think uh, Apple was frowning on the numbers, but then everybody's like, well, if I want to tell somebody to watch episode number, you don't know what episode number it is. So. Oh, the numbers. Yeah. Yes. Um, so uh, right now we're in the middle of the question on that, but intended consequences, it'll be uh, um, curiosity and creativity are the, okay. the title of the podcast. That's on uh, Apple right. and all those places, Apple and Stitcher and um, all of those other pod pod places. Got Google. It. So you have like the new Google there. podcast app. Oh, you do I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Well, we should definitely talk about podcasts, but I, I want to bring it back to the reason you even brought up Diane in the first place was that about it's almost like that the element of being a kid. And, and as you mentioned that, that movie big came to mind, you know? Um, and if you haven't seen this, and you're out there, please go watch this as research for work. Just <laughs> leave work early, watch this movie. Uh, but no, Tom Hanks goes back, yeah. you know, become, actually, you know, he goes forward. He becomes an adult when he's really just a kid and he's in this corporate setting. And I remember my favorite, one of my favorite scenes is when they're presenting this new toy. He gets a job at a toy store for being silly. And the, and the CEO is like, I'm silly too. And they kind of have a silly moment. So uh, he's in this meeting and they're like, well, the depth charts show this. And uh, this is what our, our studies show that um, and it was a transformer type thing where mm-hmm. it was a dinosaur that turns into a building and he's picking it up and the arm falls off. And he's like, quite, he raises his hand like a kid question. What's so fun about this? <laughs> They're like, whoa, well, clearly our our research shows X, Y, and Z, (laughs) but he was just a kid, not afraid to be incorrect or, you know, be kind of dancing in the politics of the organization and just say, hey, this isn't fun. How about an insect? And then immediately everyone's like, whoa, an insect? An insect that turns into a a robot? Oh my gosh, it's great. And then the people that pitched it in the first place were so furious. It was was a good scene, you know, it kind of reminds us to, to be like a kid. Well, and that is exactly a situation where marketers need to be smart because agencies or their paid search team or their research team are bringing them data. And if they don't have a little confidence around experimenting, they don't know how to value that data. So, you know, research from focus groups, it's small sample size, it's people pretending to be your customers. It's um, the human brain wants to tell you what they think you want to hear because we're all social and nice people. And so focus group data is, it's not reliable, but it is a data point that can guide you towards, okay, this is the direction we should go. These are the things we should test. Now, where can we find something more quantitative, 
larger sample size? Could we put this in front of some of our actual customers, a lot of our actual customers? Um, the things that then make the data feel more believable give you more confidence on it. And that's part of the learning curve of experimentation is understanding this relationship. But we already know. I think I, last time I was on, I told the son the story about my son, Sean, and you know, he was trying to decide between two motherboards for this, um, this computer he was building. It's a really important computer. Right. And uh, one was four-star, one was five-star, but he knew to go and check how many reviews were driving uh, those ratings. Yeah. So he knew intuitively to check the sample size, although he would never use that language. We, we already know how to do this. Chip off the old block right there. I guess so. He might even be smarter than me. He's killing it. Version 2.0. Version 4.0. 4.0. Well, this is is a good topic. I'm glad we sort of evolved into this. It's like, okay, let's experiment. But then using data, I wonder if, I mean, even just the word, I mean, data and and focus groups and all these things come into play. Is that like something that we're not as clear on? You mentioned to be able to do this testing, you got to own it, got to be comfortable, have some confidence understand you, you have your ideation, but then you also need that data side. How, what do you suggest? How do people get that confidence on that, on the testing and the data and the numbers side? So I think the biggest barrier is number one, confidence that you don't have to be um, a data scientist or a PhD to do this. Okay. Um, you know, we give out lab coats to our, our customers and partners when they've demonstrated that they have earned their lab code. And these are people who don't have a college. Yes. Yes. They don't have, there's people that that don't have a college degree. There are people who are Russian literature majors from all walks of life and they can get it. So I think that's the first step is accepting that you're able to do this. And then the second thing is when you, when you do experiment, a lot of experiments fail. Uh-huh. They, your, your great idea that you're sure was going to work doesn't pan out. And that kind of gives you a, 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 you've got to be comfortable with that failure. You've got to be okay with, with like, Oh, you know, I spent, I spent $155 and, and two hours of my time in the week. And turned out that that wasn't a good idea. You've got to get comfortable with that and know that as you work through those, you're going to hit on those things that are like, Whoa, now I'm a genius. I think that's the other thing that kills that experimenting. If you measure it in terms of the things that were typically measured by, then um, right. uh, it can it can shoot you down. So that's those are the main things. So a lot of experiments can fail. Just being aware of that, and it's okay in the science world. I mean, ninety nine different tries, and you know, number one hundred, you know, gets you penicillin or however many times they tried and they looked at the mm-hmm. orange and the fruit basket. It's okay in that realm. I think sometimes that politics enters into, you know, if I'm wrong all the time, I need to have some wins, but the wins do come. Uh, I like what you said. It also matches what we said earlier. Just don't do it twice, right? Learn from, if it doesn't work, well, what, what part of that didn't work and what can I take with me going forward? So that way it's a lesson. I mean, if this Facebook ad does nothing, uh, I will have learned way more than $155. Um, actually, I made it per click, so they haven't, they don't have any money yet. <laughs> but I will have learned way more than uh, than that spend in terms of the advertising, the positioning, setting it up, the targeting. Uh, it's a gr- you know, it's a great lesson learned, anyways. But mm-hmm. um, but to your point, yeah, things will fail. Just don't do it twice. 
and, and learn from it each time. That's cool. Yeah. Well, and when you, when you do have successful experiments, there's nothing more impressive than like dropping into your weekly or your monthly uh, report. Some of these graphs from analytics or heat maps from crazy egg. Uh, it's, it's quite impressive and everybody, everybody gets it. So um, like, dang, you did that. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> from our brand, from our brand research, that's one of the things that marks our clients is that um, they're smart and they want, they want to be smart. They want to, they want to like align with those sorts of things. And so all I'm trying to do is show more marketers that uh, they already are pretty smart. Already are pretty smart. I like that. Well, as a, as a, as a manager, do you want a, a team of safe marketers or do you want a team that has a bunch of experimenters in it? Really? What do you want? It's a great question. <laughs> it is a great question. And it's not, it's it, it, as a, as a manager, I think you're going to have to learn how to manage experimenters because if someone spends two hours and a thousand dollars and you know every week for three weeks and there's like oh no winner oh no winner oh no winner you have to like figure out all right is this okay so you you, um i I think there's a a set of skills there that um maybe i should maybe i should spend a few blogs talking about what i think uh, i think are the skills because um i can't I can't enunciate them clearly. It always comes back to get comfortable with failure. You know, it it sounds a lot like baseball. I didn't play baseball growing up, well, on a team per se, but uh, my son's doing a little softball. But yeah, the whole whole baseball thing, right? I mean, these people, if you look at batting averages, I mean, what's a good batting average? It's, I mean, they're they're fractions, they're decimals, they're, you know... uh, and it's not even a majority of the time. It's like, oh, majority of the time I get a hit. No, not really. But, <laughs> but it's a greater than zero. And same thing with pitchers. Um, you know, no one's perfect, but more often than not, they're striking people out. So it's like, can I get that? You got to get that occasional home run. I mean, what do they talk about? Like Babe Ruth and Big Poppy in Boston and all those different people. I mean, it's the occasional home run that won the game that made that guy a star, not the fact that, the other eight times he was at bat, he struck out like a, like a noob. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's an interesting metaphor because, you know, if you were a Cubs fan for, for decades, <laughs> you could be sitting in the stand collecting box scores. And that's one of the things that baseball is known for its data richness and people track the box scores. They track the earn run average. They check the, they track the uh, strikeouts per game. They, you know, all of those things. You're right but you're measuring it for a losing team. And it wasn't until more recently when that the money, you know, Moneyball, the book and the movie where they said, why don't we take some of this data and start yeah, using Moneyball. it to decide who we should be recruiting. And I, that is the distinction. Everyone, uh, everyone who's in mar- digital marketing has data sitting around. You've got analytics running under your website. If you're advertising, you've got AdWords, you got Facebook, you got Instagram, the data is there. You're just probably measuring a losing team. How do you take that data, spend a little headphone time with it and say like, wait a minute, there's a trend here. These things are correlated. I wonder if it's causal. Let's go in and find out. Yeah. And Vala, that reminds me, I have a, a buddy of mine, Zach Pines, if you met him, but he calls himself the money ball marketer. It's oh yeah. Cool Smart. Term. Cool term. Um, and the alliteration, you know, you get bonus points for that. 
And them. Ding, ding, uh, ding. <laughs> but tell me about the causation, the, cor- the correlation, because I, I know it's like a, it's, it's an important concept you, you're supposed to hear about in school, but I don't think. Well, let me give you an example. So if you're running a um, catalog e-commerce site, um, you can set up Google Analytics to track site search. So sure. what are people typing into your site search? And if you look at the segment of people that do site search mm-hmm. uh, and you compare their conversion rates to the number of people that don't do site search or to the site average, which includes both people that do and don't, we typically find a two to three X in, uh, improvement in conversion rate and average order value hmm. for people who do search. Okay. So that's correlation. So the hypothesis becomes, well, if we can get more people to search, then that'll, that'll raise our conversion rates. Right. But the question is, do people who search buy more or do people who are ready to buy search more? Right. So we don't know if the search bar is the cause or if um, it's just an effect that I know what I want. I know what I'm looking for. I'm ready to buy. I'm, so search is the quickest way to get there. So as experimenters, we spend a lot of time, number one, finding these correlations and then seeing if we can use that correlation as a cause and effect sort of thing. Right. Um, and with some of our customers, we'll run a test that will test, test causality, get more people to search and see if we see that, that same conversion rate. And sometimes we see a cause and sometimes we don't. So not all audiences are the same. Right. Um, so, so some we still look at and some, some we still test. Right. This, that's a really helpful example. It makes sense too. Okay. So when a search is a part of your journey, then you're most likely to buy. But we're not sure if, if that was like just an indicator that, to your point, the you know, people that are searching were more likely to buy anyways, or that the act of searching encouraged them to buy and it was helpful. So did you then drive a bunch of people to try to get more searches and then see if that? Yeah, well, we, how the, do you that? our playbook calls for, if we see like a 3X effect, it calls for um, using, um, for instance, we did a timed overlay. If somebody's on a page and not interacting for a while, we'll yeah. pop up a search box. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is make the search box bigger bring it down more uh, closer to the, uh, the main navigation. Sometimes the search is way off in the corner. Right. So anything that will um, make it more visible and get more people to use search. And then we just, we do a comparison of typically we'll do an AB test to see if the higher search volumes actually result in um, higher conversion rates and uh, more revenue, revenue per visit is typically what we track. Do you re- recall what the case was in this situation? Uh, yeah, one. So we, I think the general rule is this: um, how important the, the question is how important is discoverability in this particular case? Mm-hmm. So one of our clients was Tygon, and they're like Etsy, so they're a website of stores, uh-huh. they're a, a site of stores. So discoverability was really a big thing because you know you wanted to go and find out if they had shoes or if they had salsa or you know sure. it was a, a wide variety of things that were offered on that site and so in that case whenever we made search more evident put it in front of more people it definitely drove a higher revenue per visit on uh, apparel sites and stuff we have had less discoverability doesn't seem to be um as as important people are more browsing i think there's more browsing behavior than 
um, uh, finding specific categories of things or specific shops. Got it. That's our current hypothesis. Got it. So you make a hypothesis and test it out. And, and, but don't just assume that that part was the cause. You know, this kind of ties into a lot of the work we've been doing lately in marketing automation and CRM. It's getting into that multi-touch attribution modeling. The idea, mm. of, you know, initially, I'm, and my favorite is first touch. Like at least if I can tell for the most part where I think I got you from with the best accuracy I can possibly get, then I can go back to that particular area and probably get more people like you <laughs> to acquire them um, or to, to come become customers. But then that multi-touch, like midway through our sales relationship, you attended this webinar or you, um, I don't know, read this white paper. So the people that read this white paper are more likely to become customers. Is that because they read the white paper or were they just better buyers who are more likely to buy anyways? And so they actually were reading your content. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, so attribution is, is thorny and I'll, I'll be honest with you. We don't spend a lot of time with attribution because uh, you can spend a whole lot of time and only get incrementally better at understanding those things. Sure. What we prefer to do is take the funnel apart. So first thing you want to do is make sure that you have measurement all the way through. That's actually a bigger problem than you know, how many visits, how many touches, which pieces of content, which pieces of which, where, where people interacted with you. That's more important. And that's the biggest missing thing is we often can't have, don't have visibility all the way through to the CRM, Got get an idea of, of how things are being closed. But a better question for us is we'll look at a piece of content, like a, the webinar, let's say, yep. and um, we will ask um, how much, how valuable was that? In other words, um, uh, did that particular thing drive a large amount of traffic, right. uh, revenue, lead generation, whatever you're optimizing for? And if you find things that are either underperforming or performing really well, those are both um, op- opportunities for optimization. Right. Um, something that's really performing well, you can often find additional um, results from that by optimizing it. So we tend to look at the pieces as a part of the funnel. And also um, we tend to have specific paths for specific things. So there's a little bit less, uh, you know, like a homepage traffic can come from anywhere. Attribution is a nightmare, but it's just the way, it's just the way people interview. So that's a situation where you, you've just got to really pull it apart, but Mm -hmm. adds to landing pages, um, people taking a step, get their email address, get them to buy something inexpensive, get them to buy, you know, buy again, um, and then reduce your churn. Those sorts of things we can take a little bit more piecemeal. I like that. What I got from that was understand the final result, be able to connect that full process together. Did it yes. turn into a win? Can you see that this thing did actually end up buying from start to finish first? And I, it makes a lot of sense to me. And then zoom in on different areas and optimize almost like locally, like go local and try to optimize a particular part of that process or a particular asset, a particular webinar, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the more attribution, the more your attribution model grows, the smaller the slices you have to optimize. And from an A-B testing standpoint, the sample sizes get too small to really do that. So right. um, it's one of the, the disadvantages of, of A-B testing. But and it, right. there are other ways to test. 
Do you think everyone has the ability to test or everyone talking about personality? And I know we talked to Colby last time, which is more of an instincts type test. Do you think, do you think some people, if, if they're not really hip on testing, that's cool? Um, or just people haven't been the, given the opportunity to do that? Yeah, you know, I think it's, uh, as you like to my earlier analogy, I think that there are certain people that are drawn to design, drawn to writing. And I think, I think there are personalities that are more easily drawn towards data. But the, the problem is that every marketer is writing. Every marketer is designing. True. Because we wear so many hats. True. You know, if they're not doing the design work, they are reviewing and, and uh, approving and modifying. So it's just another thing marketers have to do. Um, and I would argue it's every bit as rewarding and creative as design and writing and uh, project management's even pretty creative. So, yeah, you know, I, the rewarding part, that, that's a really good point. I think sometimes the cha- challenge for me was before we were able to connect to revenue at the back end, I didn't know if I was having any effect. All I knew was activity metrics and it was like, okay, well I sent a million emails out, but what did that even do? But now mm-hmm. we start seeing some ROI. You got these leads from this event and they turned into the, all this business. That's fantastic. It's great seeing that. It's a little slower, but what an interesting point. I'm just like, like the aha moment was it, it can be fun, like a, a small reward instead of some big feast. It might be a little piece of candy here to be able to say, huh, I just learned something or I just saw something happen. And, and you kind of get a little bit of that feedback loop that where normally marketing, we're so, we're so big picture, you know, sales gets that immediate high of go hit the gong, you know, you close this deal. Even if it was like a six month deal. You have that understanding sometimes when we're in the lab and if we don't have a defined test, we're just constantly trying to iterate, but we don't, but if you have those wins, it can kind of be, you kind of, kind of mark the occasion. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a, the question is where do you get your dopamine squirts? Yeah. Like, well, for, uh, you know, a project manager crossing something off a lift gives a little, yes. a little reward going in and, and, you know, writing an amazing headline. Um, and it's, it's absolutely the same with data. And for me, it's, it's it is addicting because I, I'm always interested in going in and all right, what, what am I missing here? What could be, what could be causing this? Right. Any correlations I'm not aware of. So I, I can see you going into your, your office with you know, floor to ceiling books and sitting back in a, a high back leather chair with like a, a brandy and going like, <laughs> why are these results happening the way they're happening? Kind of like, like sort of sifting it around in the glass and being like, ah, oh, I, I know it. You have a good imagination. Like Dr. Um, House. You're like the Dr. House of the marketing world. Yeah, hopefully I'm not quite as abrasive. Oh, but it, that's exactly it. It's oh, like, all right, here's an idea. Go run the test. Here's run. an idea. Go run the test. <laughs> yeah. That's all he's doing is failing six or seven times until he gets to the end. And is like, I'm so smart because I figured it out. Yeah. It took uh, you it could, it took right. 10 it could, failures. It could be an infection. Go test for that. Nope. Not an infection. All right. I mean, the whole... Sh- if, if he just immediately guessed it, the show would be over in five minutes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There'd be no so drama. It's the same with data. There'd be no, there's, there's drama in data. That's a great analogy. I'm going to go watch that show a little bit more. You should. You should. And if next show we, we chat together, you, you have a limp and a cane. I'm going to go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you, one thing that I do find fun and, and exhilarating in that kind of space is writing with dry erase markers on Windows. 
Like yeah. and he, he did, he did that or he'd be like standing on some random, you know, the shelf of a conference room running on a window. How cool is that? You know, your backdrop is the outside world as opposed to some, you know, opaque dry erase board in the office. Have you tried it though? Yeah, you can't see it. Everything's unreadable. <laughs> you can't read anything, but it's, it feels so it's cool. It's actually the worst place to write anything. <laughs> but it feels like you're breaking the rules, though. So <laughs> someone in housekeeping is like, oh, <laughs> what's going on? What Should the I erase this? Yeah, right. Should I? <laughs> you don't Do not even, wash window. You don't even know. Yeah, yeah. Drying on, drying on windows. So, all right. So let's get into podcasts. I, I think... You had mentioned earlier you're doing some research and 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 people that see you. What was that? People that see you just they buy from you or those that see you present. Oh yeah, so sixty percent of our long term customers, customers that have been with us for like three years, okay, came into the fold after seeing me present. Wow. And I mean, I present somewhere between twelve and twenty times a year. So okay. it's not like I'm I'm out on the road all the time. The sad part is that they contact me a year to 18 months on average after they saw me speak. So it is a long lead time sort of a thing. And we're like, all right, so how do we, how do we maximize this? There's apparently something about um, seeing me in person that builds trust. um, And then that, that, you know, that bodes well and, and they stay with us long enough for us to, to really build a partnership. And our thought was, well, maybe we can use the podcast to do that. And, um, uh, you know, I love to do a podcast like this, but mm-hmm. we thought, well, why don't we accelerate that? Maybe this is a more scalable way to do presentations. And hopefully, if, if more people are hearing it, it won't have this 18-month lead time right. before they, they reach out and call. Or it does, but, but get more of them. So, yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I have a long view. Um, and so I'm fine with that if it's, mm-hmm. if that's what it takes. So we invested in intended consequences and, uh, you know, so much of our blog has become <laughs> SEO oriented that I'm glad I've got this new creative outlet where I can have fun, uh, have interesting conversations. I always write a, and record a, um, a specific intro where I get to just do whatever I want. There's no yeah. SEO saying, well, what concept are you going after? Is this competing keyword, with our other pages? Keyword, keyword, yes. keyword. Yeah. So um, that I like. And uh, we've been, we're, we're right at six months. It is a, a long-term investment. So we'll just have to see. The thing that I hate the most about podcasting is how unmeasurable it is. Mm. No feedback. There's no... Uh, we don't have the, the analytics of podcasting in the podcast players. There's no way to get that data back. We get a little, we can get plays out of Apple. Right. So it's for that segment of people, but. Like you get um, downloads, but you don't necessarily know how long they went. Exactly. And, you know, a podcast player will download the whole thing, all the episodes, you know, every time they come out and just yeah. they get listened to, they get. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. You're right. Like if, if you subscribe an Apple and it's going to auto download, it's going to just, download. they may not have listened. Oh no, that you're, you're shattering my world. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so glad I could do yeah, that I don't for have you. four listeners. <laughs> it really is just my dad and his app downloading automatically every time on his three laptops. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's got to get downloaded before it's listened to. So it's true. Uh, it's a feasible proxy. Right for for listens so you know um if there was a way to do a correlation i would tell you yeah we did a correlation of downloads to listens and now there is a 
a um there's a new uh site called Chartable, which is yeah. trying to do a better job of giving us data, but it's just a limitation of the medium. So Isn't that still just downloads too? It is it is downloads, but they also uh it, it yeah, it is downloads. They are they, they do a little prefix on the URL. So right. I think they're getting some insight into listens as well. Right. Okay. Listens as um, well. And they um, they have a really nice URL shortener attached to data. So as you share on on social media, you can see how many people are opening that MP3 file. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd seen Chartable, and I think we're going to probably set it up. But you kind of aggregates all your data. Our our podcast. Who, who are you? Where are you hosting it at? We're at Libsyn. Libsyn. Okay. I'm using Podbean. There's something. All of the podcast hosts seem to be like still using their 1990s designs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the yeah, deal yeah. is. They're focused on the back end. I guess that makes sense. Well, they're, they're all, they're still all like overseas. I think, um, overseas productions. I think oh, are they really? I didn't realize that. Yeah. So you need, you need some mainstream Palo Alto funded podcast hosting platform. I guess anchor might fit that. I don't know if you heard of anchor. I haven't heard of anchor. I've used, Blueberry from my previous podcast, which was mm. just a read the article podcast. Okay. Um, but that actually grew pretty, pretty quickly. I'm, I might do some, some episodes. I might experiment with some episodes where I'm just reading some of my best content into the microphone. Cause I, I like, I listen to 10 books on audio before mm-hmm. every one that I read on paper. So me too. Me too. I, sometimes I'll just re-listen to some of my favorite books on audio just because it puts me back in that world. If it's fiction or you know, the narration is great and you just want to hear that again. And you've got a great voice for narration. Why, thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so um, what, one thing I want to tell you about, there's, um, you should check out, there's an awesome combo I had with Michael Greenberg a couple episodes ago. And he is so far beyond me in the podcast world. Like I'm geeking out on it. I love it. Um, but in terms of using it for content creation, Hit and the whole show is called "Don't Do a Blog, Do a Podcast." Mm-hmm. Start with a podcast, and then use that content, and then repurpose it all. And you can go from an hour-long conversation into many, many articles, as well as uh, I think he said if you have an hour or fifty minutes, you can do you can actually do a, like a mini book, like a like a booklet or um, uh, an ebook, is what he said. So there's all these different things where you can just repurpose that whole conversation get it transcribed and then get it out on social, get it out on, you know, all the blogs and all those other kind of places. And you didn't have to like create it from scratch and start from the editing side. Yeah. I think that the trends and the transcribe me um, of the world, what's the other one? Rev, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I think they're missing out because they're like, all right, here's your transcription. That'll be $80 for an hour or something like that. Uh, oh, it's cheaper. Now. Some of them. It's yeah. $3. I think it is getting cheaper. Yeah. But, you know, Trent's going to a subscription model. That's fine. But if I could, it's, you know, my choices are I can get this as a doc, uh, um, a word doc or RTF or text. Why couldn't I click um, two podcasts? Why couldn't I click? I would like, I, I would like this as a um, slide share. So if I yeah. uploaded a, a webinar, right, a slide share with audio over it or, you know, there's a number of different things you could do. I would like this as an ebook. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that these transcription services are just missing the boat. So, 
Right. And, uh, you know, Michael brought up that while they're missing the boat, they're actually empowering everyone else to do those same kind of services. Because when transcription was a human or was really expensive, it was was, cost prohibitive. But now it literally is like $6 or $5 for an hour because of. So how are they making money? I mean, gosh, no one wants to be in that business. You know, it it just does its thing. And so, you know, it's quality. Well, if you're if you're a content agency, I think that this should be your thing is because it fixes the problem of the content creator in your agency understanding the business that they're creating for. Right. Just send me the webinar, send me the podcast. I'll listen to it. I will understand. And, you know, transcriptions are there. It takes a lot of time and a lot of work to get a transcription to to readable format. But sure. So, I mean, but those are the, you know thousand dollar projects, you know, if, if I could pay, if I could reliably pay $500 for an ebook for every one of my podcasts, it's kind of a no brainer because that makes all yeah, of my pages do that? converting. Yes. How many, how many pages for your ebook do you want? Uh, well, so I've got a 30 minute podcast. It's probably going to be more of a report summary, okay. but you know, uh, a, a good content company will go and find relevant images to drop in there or so 500 bucks, <laughs> I would do 500 bucks for a, if, for a webinar. So that you would have some graphics. That's what oh. I think going from a webinar to an ebook, a webinar to series of blog posts, a webinar to 12 social media posts featuring a landing page. Or, yeah. And do my landing page as well. Do my landing page for the ebook, then write my blog posts or my uh, social media posts that are going to drive people to that landing page. Right. And build my list. That's, I mean, that's a $2,500 deal right there. Yeah. Um, if it's a, you know, if it's a big enough audience out there, we, Boom. you know, there we look to, we look to get subscribers right now. I think we get them for four or $5 right now. Okay. And we'll take those all day and night. So. Because they get on that, that thought process and, or your thought leadership starts trucking in and then they eventually hear you speak on a podcast and maybe sign up. Yeah, well, once they get on my list, then I've got a, a constant flow of, of content and stuff to keep them educated and interested. How's the podcast going? How, how's it been? You know, so it's growing great. Um, and we are um, syndicating it on Webmaster Radio. Okay. Um, actually taking that content over to Landing Page Optimization is the name of the um, show on Webmaster Radio. And that already had a following, uh, Tim Ash founded that and yeah 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 um so he he gave me permission to take over that that feed so oh, wow but webmaster radio is not is even worse <laughs> so they oh, have this homegrown uh, their, their system is, is made for live broadcasts like you right. get on and you you have your three o'clock on wednesday's show and you do it and so that's what their system was built around. Podcasting is kind of an afterthought for them. So we have even less data on that. But got it. Um, you know, I did a webinar two days ago, and 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 I'm I encourage people to ask questions on it. So it's not just that really boring. I do video on it, so you can see my crazy face, and just trying to make it very lively, very much different than a boring class at school, a boring webinar, corporate, right? Just trying to just mix it up my style and it makes it more fun for me. And I'm just like, Hey, please engage, ask questions, say things. And one of the questions people asked, people asked in the chat and in the middle of the webinar was, is this a recording? <laughs> oh, no kidding. And I was like, what was his name? I don't know. But like, I'm like, no, Fred, this is live. How you doing? <laughs> you have a question? 
ask it. Thanks for coming. He's like, Oh, okay. It's live. <laughs> well, and that whole art around um, getting people to take an action at the end of the, uh, the web mm. is, um, that is an art. So you're like, all right, everybody who's interested in moving forward with this, hang on, the rest of you guys can go. Right. And you know, and it creates this, um, this social joining effect where you're like, Oh, I'm a part of the people who are staying on. Oh, and so, so people are more likely to take advantage of whatever offline you have. Now. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole science to it, but webinars are, very effective. The hardest part right now is, is in our market. So we deal with the marketers. They see a lot of webinars. Yeah. They put on webinars. Yeah. So the, the, the attendance rates I've seen go from, I was averaging about 50% a few years ago to 20%, 10%. Um, so much so that I I haven't done a webinar in over a year now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mine have been that way. I mean, Oh, 93 signups. And then you, you know, 30 attendees and I get it. Things get in the way, but yeah, it's, it's much different. Yeah. And you can argue that, well, at least you got their contact information, but on the webinar, again, human voice, teaching them something, giving something of value and then being able to bring them to, to make a decision at the end is that's really what you want. Right. Right. So, I mean, the podcast is, other than the visual, I mean, we have the visual here, but you know, most people are listening to this, but other than the visual podcasts can, you can still do a lot of those things you just mentioned, the different kind of things you want from a webinar, teach people. Yeah. I think the culture of podcast is a little bit different, or at least that's what oh, tell podcasting me. agency is. They're like, we don't want to be promotional. We really want to be podcasting is not a lead generation medium by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination. I do a little bit at the end of my podcast. It's like, all right, when you get back to the office, assuming that they're listening to it, you know, commuting into the office yeah. or driving around, go do these things. And so um, hopefully it tweaks them to think about me when they sit down at their desk, but nah, it's not a lead generation medium. It really is uh, trust building, credibility building, and that's why it's it's long form. But still, you want to know what audience you're, you know, how big that audience is growing. Right. Ours is doing ours is doing well just from organic. We, we haven't been advertising it or anything like that, other than jumping onto um, the best sure. podcasts, other podcasts. I think that that helps. And I would say some of the other, the values I've seen from the the podcast or these kind of connections, like me getting to not only learn from you, but get to know you. So wherever at conversion conference together or something, we're like, Hey, you know, like we've mm-hmm. legitimately chatted for almost three hours, you know, directly and that kind of, you kind of get to know people that way. Whereas, you know, normally we don't really have that much time having a conversation with someone. So there's that, they, I don't call it network, but that's sort of like connections that you can get um, and the learning that you can get the content you can create out of it. Um, I have one friend that he, uh, he's created this podcast and he interviews uh, heads of machine shops and it ties into what his business does and whatnot. And he was telling me, you know, this is fantastic. I don't, it doesn't even matter if anyone's listening. This is, this is amazing. I'm learning. I get to work with these machine shops. They get to, you know, you know they get to be on a show. And, and so he's just, he's just all about it. It's just such a different world. Whereas some of my B2C friends, they need people to be on it because they want to drive people to that shopping cart to make that purchase. And if they're not, then what's the point of it? Whereas in the B2B side, it's, you're right. It's a different, you know, if you, if you get all salesy, people are like, what is that? Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to hear an infomercial. I want to hear a conversation and p- people joking about things with each other and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there is, 
there's a segment of the marketplace that it's effective for. And, and this experiment is really for me to understand what segment of my market this, this medium is going to be effective for. Feedback's hard too, though, right? Like, I don't know if you've heard from people that listen to it. I haven't. So yeah, um, right? in six months, I don't have any anecdote other than people that are close to the business and feel like they, they should listen to it and are close enough to that, that they can give me some feedback. I haven't yet heard anybody say, uh, yeah, I was calling to ask about your services. I heard, I, you know, heard your podcast. Right. I'm waiting for a few of those anecdotal things as experimenters. Like we know that that's not conclusive data, but it is a pointing in the right direction. It's one data point that we can use amongst the other things. So right. this is our, this is a very, this is one of those experiments that you would normally say, Oh, it's too much work. It's too much expense. But the experiment happens along with all these secondary benefits, which is, as I said, um, I get to be more creative. I've got more frequency on my blog because everyone mm. in my podcast generates a blog post and uh, just really thinking through, you know, how I talk and think about uh, the marketing message, which um, I love this podcast, this one in a previous interview for that very reason. Right. You have to, the experiment has to have, this experiment has to have more of these ancillary values than, than just what the bottom Right. Is. Otherwise, if you're just going off of, you know, just straight numbers, you know, it'd be hard to justify in the normal sense. Just, you're probably just like it was when people were doing traditional marketing and they were trying to get digital and justify that. Though quickly digital caught up and was like, here's a thousand stats you don't get from a billboard mm -hmm. <laughs> and took over. So it'd be great for podcasts to catch up in that regard as well. And, and uh, start, you know, sharing some more stats, almost like the YouTube type stats. YouTube will tell you how much was watched, maybe not to the person, but it'll, it'll give you more of that trending data. Are people actually watching the whole thing or what are they doing in terms of that podcast? Yeah. If there was a player out there and I'm welcome, if any of the listeners want to send yeah. me an email, it's brian at conversionsciences.com. I answer my email. Uh, is there a player out there that provides data? And if so, I will on every podcast promote that player and, and so that at least some segment of my audience I'm getting data on. So it's that's where we need it is, is in the players. For sure. And what's, what's fascinating is that, you know, Podbean and some of these other, you know, several people actually listening, several people, like four, <laughs> 400 people are listening, uh, 100,000 people are listening, 4 million people are listening on the Podbean <laughs> app. And I would expect the Podbean app to give me way more stats than whatever they get passed through Apple. It's their own app. So come on, Podbean, give me more data. Let's go. And then I'll promote your app as opposed to just allow people to go on Stitcher, go on these other places. And yeah, the, the, it's, the hosting, it's the hosting platforms that seem to be providing the data, but all they, all they know is how many downloads. It's, right. It's, so Blueberry has a fairly good package. Libsyn has a good package, but it, it stops at the download. The um, Chartable is attempting to get verified plays. Huh. So that, that's, the, that's the piece of the puzzle that I'm, I'm interested in. They also track seven-day downloads and 30-day download, downloads. So you can see who's getting it like right after it launches. And, and that's a good indicator for people who are subscribed probably. Right. So uh, anyways, I'm just now starting to explore that sort of thing. Hopefully they have an API and I can pull it into a spreadsheet and geek out. Right. Hey, it, you know, honestly, if it's fun though, too, I think you mentioned the freedom to be able to create and not be restricted by your normal, you know, 
playbook of SEO and yeah. making sure things are optimized. If it's fun, I think that drives a lot of it for me. Uh, I knew that I needed to create content, but at the same time, this is a freaking blast. So if I could do this all day, every day, I'm pretty sure I would. Um, so it, it kind of, it works out nicely in that regard, at least. And then you, you hope that the trailing indicators and catch up to the, uh, the amount of fun that you're having and kind of balance it out. What are we, what have we not covered so far? This has been a fairly wide ranging. Yeah. I kind of like that. You know, I kind of like that too, because at, on the second time I, I already know you, I've asked you your life story. And so this is, it's almost more of just like two marketers in lab coats sitting down chatting about what, you know, by the way, this is fun to kind of flip it to the side and put my hand in my pocket. Like I'm yeah, on, makes you look like McDreamy. Yes. 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 Here I am doctor, but yeah, I like the freedom of these too. And we can kind of just go off and just explore and actually have that even, even more unscripted conversation. So I think the, the one thing that we haven't necessarily chatted about yet was just what it, what's exciting you lately. And you know, maybe that was already answered by the podcast is happening now, but I don't know if there's anything else that, that is exciting you. And I'll, and I'll share one of the things that is kind of crazy with me too. You know, I think, so I started writing about conversion optimization in 2006 on my blog. Wow. And we really wasn't even built- born yet at that point. <laughs> you look great, man. I do. I age well. <laughs> yeah, back, you know, closer to the turn of the century. And, you know, we built uh, this business on early adopters. Mm. And I think we're starting to see more mature. Um, not mature is not the right word. We're seeing the mature market come in, like where people are like, okay, we're, you know, we've been talking about this. It's part of the budget, a little more traditional rather than, you know, we were getting contrarians and like, all right, you're going to come in here and you're going to throw things around and use data to prove me right and all that stuff. Now it's, um, there's a lot more people building conversion into their marketing plans. And so for me, that's pretty exciting. And, all and I was just saying, do you like that or do you kind of miss the rebellious youth that were your original customers? You know, that's a great question because culturally we are really still kind of set up for that, that contrarian sort of, of approach. But, you know, as we add people and um, as we bring in more, less contrarian customers, I think that's going to, to shape our culture. But that's, right. a, that's a great question. Culture is is everything we enjoy. And I think our, our longest lived clients are those that are more like that, that have brought, that brought us in that are contrarian, that are, are right. the ones trying to, to do new things. And we just have to see how the mature market looks for us. It's, a, it's that, that temptation, you know, we grew up the food chain, the bigger and bigger companies that maybe get more and more serious. Um, and then, yeah, not always, but sometimes you get those larger ones and, then you're just like, how do you become that? You don't want to be that that large agency you know that doesn't really have a soul. You want to kind of keep it, keep it loose and real, but you still need to be able to speak to those customers. But it sounds like that kind of culture you have is what enabled people to earn those lab coats and to be creative and think outside the box. Yeah, I think uh, we we design it where teaching is a big part of it. So um, you know that's what the the lab coat symbolizes, and I, I think that's why we have so many clients that have been with us for three, four, and five years. That's um, amazing. Yeah, because we're teaching them something every week when we're on the phone with them, and you keep finding wins for them every week. 
Or oh, every, we don't find we we don't find wins every week. Oh, okay. We, we sometimes don't find wins every month. I mean, that's one of the first things that we have to teach our clients is like we're going to say failure is good because we've learned something, but ultimately we are searching for those wins. And right. uh, in so the first six months that we're with someone, we've got to find enough to to make the numbers work out. After that, they work as we become more of a partner, and we're helping. You mentioned billboards. We had a client that was like, "Hey, we're." we're putting up billboards. Can you give us some data that would tell us which of these billboard designs is going to be most memorable? Hmm. And we're like, yes, we can do that. So we were able to give them some feedback on that. So would you do like some display ads with the same pictures or? Oh, no, we just did a usability, uh, usability hub study. Uh, it's called a five second test. Huh. So, you know, you bring a panel of 25 people to look at one and you're like, they see it for five seconds and you ask them a few questions. So what was the brand? Wow. Um, what do you think this company did? What was the offer? You know, so it simulates what you would have on the freeway. Uh, and oh, and what would you do if you wanted to take if you wanted to take action when you got, you know, afterwards? Um, and so we could see if one outperformed the other. In this right. particular test, both designs performed about the same. So, so in that regard, you're like, well, we t- they're both the same. Yes, you don't really have an answer for them, or you just say the answer is they're no. We go back and say you can you can go with either one. Um, I actually. I knew it. And I said, you should try something more different. Like you want a bigger difference between God, they're two. like very much copies of the same almost. And they were, they were, they were yeah. similar enough that I didn't think there was going to be an effect there, but um, they said, well, these are, these are what we have. So try these two things. Well, that's okay. At least, you know, one of them internally probably had the political backing to it. So I'm sure they were happy to hear that that ad didn't lose in the, yeah. Yeah. But that's what we, as a partner, you know, they, they come to us with, with all of their data questions. And so it becomes about more about having a team that can answer these questions and less about how much money did you make me this month? Although we never, we never lose sight of that. Huh. Very much like a brain trust then, as opposed to that more standard services agency delivery, where you just need to crank out some to do you're, you're really thinking for them. Yeah. There are two, there are two, broad categories of problems in businesses marketing on the marketing side. And that is you're either tool rich where you've bought all these tools, but no one's using them or you're people rich where you've got the data scientists, but you don't have the processes in place to, to, for them to turn what they know, what they're learning into stuff the rest of the organization can use. And so right. we, we bring that. We're very focused on, on actionable results and we're going to make those tools. You're going to get so much value out of the tools you've invested in. Wow. So I didn't mean for this to become a commercial. It's certainly not what it is. But oh yeah, um, no worries. No, I usually, I usually do that. I get to turn it into a commercial by just because I get curious. I'm like, no, tell me more about this. And and yeah, it's okay. It's all good. Yeah. But as an experimenter, that's that's another part of your value. It's like, well, we've invested in Adobe Analytics, or we have mm-hmm. Google Analytics, and we've spent all this money setting it up, and we've got crazy egg and, and, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to make these tools deliver better results for us. Right. Right. And then not jump to the wrong conclusions and cost yourself more money. Well, yeah, you get to make some mistakes. That's true. Okay. That's true. Part of the you, learning get you get to fail. Cool, man. Well, you know, I was going to share one of the things that I'm excited about is the, the conversational marketing realm. And it's, that's the term, the buzz term that's created, but really it's around chat and there's a company called drift out there. Yep. It's gotten pretty popular because their marketing is wild and crazy again, like stand out, you know, stand out and be wild and crazy. 
Um, and they basically made a fancy chatbot with some AI. But then that's sort of one of the challenges that's happened with, with this sort of conversation. It's just you know, putting chat on your website for B2B. The challenge, though, is that you end up getting a lot of noise because you don't want to actually talk to everyone on the site that wants to talk to you. And so I was uh, being able to connect with a company called um, Qualified. And I think they're out of the California area. Uh, some really cool guys run that. And their thought is, no, no, no. They have this cool quote. Let's see, it goes something like, humans can't scale and bots can't sell. So somewhere in between those two is this intersection where you have the humans who can't scale and the, and the, and the bots who can't sell and people need to do what they're best at. The bot, the best at the scaling, but if you want someone to actually sell something and they need a human and not some AI bot that sounds cheesy. No one, wants to act, no one actually wants to talk to a bot, right? And so, but they use the bot to actually qualify someone. And what, what I'm really excited about, because in the Pardot marketing automation world is that the qualified actually plugs into Pardot, plugs into sales. Oh, marketing. I see. So, so they're using the AI just uh, to, to then send certain number of people into the human. Yeah. And does the human just like appear? It's like, hi, now you're talking to a human because you're, you're no, from, from the get go. Well, I guess two parts. If when it, by tying into Salesforce and Pardot, and some other things like Clearbit and some other uh, data providers, if you can already tell, or if they came from like one example is that they come from G2 crowd and they're in a, com- they're comparison shopping. That's a, that's a big lead source for you. You automatically ping the appropriate salesperson for that region, territory, you know, location and all that. And they're like, hmm. they're like, Hey, you know, oh, so they're doing IP lookup, all that, uh-huh. all that. And so the, the goal is to get the human only the qualified conversation. Um, and not the noise of like, here's 30 people who are going to ignore you and don't, you don't actually want to talk to. But for that one, that is actually that perfect ICP, that fit that you've been looking for, you can make yourself available. They may chat, they may not want to chat, but if they do, you're like a real human. You're not like, I'm a bot. And um, the other thing is you can hit a button, they can hit a button and you can actually have a phone call right there through the website mm-hmm. or chat. And mm-hmm. eventually you'll be able to do a demo. And, uh, and you can actually see what they're looking at scrolling and where their mouse is all the while here. What's the name of the, what's the name of the, it's called qualified qualified. That's yeah. great. Do they have qualified.io or something? I think it's just qualified.com. <laughs> is it spelled K W A L? Oh no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm always, I don't know how they got the word, but yeah, it's just the word Q U A L I F I E D. I've always, I'm always interested in how the scarcity of domain names is causing company naming to go crazy, to, to go crazy, to change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, you know, in our playbook, there are a couple things. Number one, having chat on the site can often generate credibility. Sure. So just having it on the site can sure, improve I can credibility that. and, and, and that can positively affect your conversion rates. Um, and I think most people are using chatbots really as lead generators. So it's like, Hey, you have a question? I'm here to answer. Yeah. And you type in the question, the, the AI goes, uh, give us your email address. <laughs> and so it can be, it can be a, a nice target for that to improve, uh, to add people to your list. And ideally you're, ideally you're following up with, with folks. I mean, if you're making that sort of a promise, but so those are the first two things that we, we look for mm. um, when we're testing that sort of thing. And then of course, if, if you can use a smart and intelligent way of qualify, pre-qualifying people and getting, getting them to the right people to sales, uh, that's a win. So. Right. Right. 
Huh? Yeah. I mean, I'm excited about it because I've tried both. I've tried just opening up the world and just trying to chat with everyone. And then you're just busy and you're not really focused. And especially if you think about sales being the one manning that, that channel, you, you don't want to distract them because if they get kind of like bad leads, if they get a bunch of bad leads, they're like, ah, okay, this channel's bogus. I'm not going there anymore. And they're the ones that's supposed to be like there and responding. So it, it's important to give them only the ones that they want to talk to. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's kind of going backwards. So people move to the web so that they could sell things on the web without, you know, at a low, at a low cost of, low cost of sales. You didn't have to right. have all of uh, you know, a store and all that stuff. Now we're kind of going backwards and saying, well, we want to add more of that human touch. And so we're starting to add chatbots, which requires right. more of the human touch. And right. So it's kind of an interesting trend, but I think, I, I think really what you're, your brand positioning is like ours is very personal. I answer my emails, I answer my phone. So maybe uh, we have tested chatbots for our business and it, it, would, it didn't, uh, didn't work for us, but chatbots or actual chat. It was, it was actual chat. We, we just started testing the bots just to see how many people would interact with it. Right. And it, it was, it was small. So yeah. we didn't even turn on the, the communication piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know, they're starting to call it in the B2B side, they're starting to call it, um, it's like the missing link. What happens after a lead's created? Because what, what they're kind of getting at too with this, maybe it's been, but I, I, I get where they're going with it, which is, you know, so much of marketing automation is like, talk to you later. <laughs> like, you complete this form and we'll talk to you later. But if they complete this form and they're exactly who you want to talk to, why would you want to talk to them later? Maybe mm -hmm. they want to talk right now. And so there's a little bit of that, the mixture of, you know, why are we sending a drip every week and every month and, you know, playing the slow game. If some people are doing the Netflix binging and they want to know now some of this information. I, I think it's brilliant. And, you know, the, the best time to ask somebody to do something is exactly after they've done something. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Gildini calls it liking. We like you more. We give you more respect because of the fact that we chose you. And we would never choose a loser, right? So that's why we love um, thank you page, thank you page questions, thank you page surveys. Ask you know on the thank you page or your receipt page. Ask what almost kept you from buying today. You'd wow. be amazed. You'll have a very high response rate, and wow. you will be amazed at what you learn about what you're doing wrong. Lots of people will get through your purchase process, no matter how screwed up it is. But then, if you can find out what almost kept them you can start to understand what's actually driving people away. Wow. I think that's it. I think we, we end there. I mean, mic drop. <laughs> I don't know if you looked at the clock, but time, time flies when we get to, to uh, chit chatting. Uh, what time is it? Oh, we've been talking a while. Yeah. So how about yeah, the, so, do we, do we, do the URLs, you know, where people can connect if they haven't heard the previous, you know, we're LinkedIn, Twitter, Obviously, well, uh, I want I want everybody to come over and uh, and listen to uh, intendedpodcast.com. Yes. Yep. For the Intended Consequences podcast, it's on all of your apps. Go check it out. What do you got coming up? What kind of uh, or what kind of interviews have you had and uh, coming up actually I'm talking with Lance Loveday with Closed Loop and I actually have one uh, where I am just interviewing a line marketer, someone who is like, I think many of the listeners to this, she just wears all the hats. And right. I said, 
I'm just going to talk to like the guy on the street sort of a thing and yeah. have a whole podcast discussion about what's in the way, what keeps people from experimenting, how you deal with it. Oh, cool. And it was actually from that podcast that I really had this realization of this, this headphone time. So yeah. uh, I think a lot of people relate to that because they'll hear themselves. Excellent. What episode or who is that? Or that one actually has not been published yet. So that'll be coming yeah. out in Edit July. Okay, so if we yeah. But subscribe if now, we'll be on the, the receiving end when that comes out. Yeah. If you're listening to this in August, it's out. Go oh, sure. Out. Yeah. Whenever, podcast. Whenever com. Listen to this, it might already be out. Yeah. <laughs> so that, and of course, come and read all of the content, all, you know, our podcasts and, and content also available at conversionsciences.com and, Screw social media. Send me an email, brian at conversionsciences.com. I like that. You don't have to put that in the show notes, though, so the, the spam monsters will get it. Well, there you go. And you know what? I'm Casey at Cheshire Impact. So, boom. Bam. Love it. The two guys in the lab coats aren't afraid to talk directly right. to you. That's right. And what, what did we say? We said, you are Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. <laughs> and I get to be Beaker. Beaker. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. So I don't think he actually talks. Listening to the Muppets here today. Hmm. If you've learned something, I know you have. Share this with someone. I literally have pages of notes over here. I've been learning. So hopefully you've, you've heard some things. Share this with people. Be a thought leader in your circles on your LinkedIn and get this information out there. But uh, for everyone else, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.